What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. It's me, Big Ben or Bug. If you're a fan of the show and that's what you want to go with, that's fine. Not going to hurt my feelings. Listen, y'all, we had to take a break last week. We had some scheduling errors and conflicts come up. And uh, we took a deep, long look at how we want to do this going forward. And at least for the time being, with as goofy as my schedule is and how everything's kind of going, we just decided that what we're going to do until we can get on a more consistent schedule with my real big boy job work schedule going on is that as long as we're doing just these the spring league reviews and talking about spring football, if I can't make a regular show, I'm going to come on here and do it solo. So I'm riding by myself uh, tonight, this morning, depending on how you want to look at it. And uh, if you are a video person, if you like watching your podcast, I, I apologize in advance. This is not going to be uh, of the same production value as what we've had in the past. However. If you're an audio listener, going to be pretty transparent to you. If you are curious about catching these streams or these videos, you can check out our Twitch, twitch.tv backslash big dudes in the trenches, all one word there. Or you can go head over to our YouTube, youtube.com backslash big dudes in the trenches there as well. I do believe, I hope I'm not wrong. I hope it's not BDT football. Tug normally does all these. I'm scared. It is big dudes in the trenches, all one word for YouTube as well. But without further ado, we do have some things that we got to talk about in the world that is football. We're starting off with the final game of the XFL season. Now, look, everybody knows the result of this by now. So there's no point in trying to, you know, dangle the carrot there. The Arlington Renegades, who went into the postseason four and six, two games below 500. Finished the season at a perfect six and six to beat the DC defenders who finished the season 10 and 2, 35 26. And let's just come out and say it up front. Arlington was in control from the time this game started. The Renegades absolutely were ready to play this ballgame. And DC, for whatever reason, went out thinking, man, this is going to be easy. We're just going to walk all over them. We're going to, we're going to win this game. This, they're not the better team. And for most of the season, they weren't. But it's clear that they came out hungry. They came out kind of as a team with nothing to lose. And they absolutely worked their asses off for this one. This was a well-deserved win for the Renegades. By no means am I trying to say that they were the better team all year. That's not the case. They were the better team on this day. And a big part of that is because this offense finally coalesced around Luis Perez. He came out. He's our offensive player of the game, by the way. This is probably the only game we're going to have for sure to find players of the game. Uh, and I'll talk about that a little bit more later as well. But Luis Perez, the offensive player of the game in this one, 26 of 38 for 288 yards, an average of eight yards per pass attempt with three touchdowns, no interceptions, which that's huge, especially when you compare it to his counterpart who had three interceptions. Now, you couple Tomu's struggles along with the defense for D.C. that came out and looked like they were half asleep, looked like they were asleep at the will half the game. It, it, it makes it tough. You know, Arlington definitely came out and smacked them in the mouth, came out to a early 14 to nothing lead before D.C. finally showed any signs of life. And look, they were up 14 at half. It was 20 to six at halftime. This game looked like it was out of hand, but then Abe Smith does what he does. 
breaks off a big run, and it really – that was to open the third quarter. It really kind of gave life to D.C. there. You thought maybe they were going to come back into this game, and they certainly could have, but their defense did them no favors. They did not come up with big stops when they needed them. And Jordan Tomu, man, got to gotta secure the ball. His interceptions would be co- extremely costly. Uh, he threw – He it was just – it was tough to watch. It really was. They would the teams after uh, after Abe Smith scored that touchdown to open the game. They trade TDs for a while, and then Tamu throws a pick that basically sealed the game for Arlington in the fourth. They get it deep in DC territory. That leads to a field goal. They take a fifteen point lead. They get the ball back, and then just as they're getting ready to go down and score or really put it away, take it into the two minute warning, they fumble the ball and that gave DC some life. So got to, you know, tip your cap to what was the best team of the regular season. They did not go down easy. They marched down, got their six points, failed the fourth and 15 on yet another Jordan Ta'amu interception. And you know, that's brutal form. That's rough. It's definitely something that's going to stay with them for a while. But there were there was still a lot of good that came out of this game, really on both sides. Now, I also want to say that kind of the negative game script early and just how DC reacted to how Arlington came out was to go and sling the ball around. That hadn't been their game all year, and it kind of put them in a tough spot early. They made the adjustments. They were able to make a game out of it, but ultimately, too early in the game, they were just in a negative game script. They got away from what made them the DC defenders, made them the best team in the regular season. In Arlington, they played like a team with nothing to lose, and it was exceptionally true that they they had nothing to lose. Luis Perez had an amazing performance. Sal Canella had another amazing performance. He was not the top receiver, though. That goes to Tyler Vaughn's. And then Davion Smith had a fantastic game, even though Liddy Brown was the guy that got the touchdown run for the Renegades. All in all, this was a great season of the XFL. And there's been a lot of people saying, oh, their biggest test is going to be, are they going to be back next year? Are they going to be back next year? And from everything that I've seen, yes, it does. It does look like they're going to be back next year and they should be back next year. Now, here's where we need to start talking about the positives and negatives of the league. Positive. They made it all the way to the championship game. And the championship game, even though it was it was a bit of a blowout early, turned into a very good football game. Man, I just you just wonder if DC comes out ready, what happens, what the end result is. Now, another negative we got to talk about here. The marketing for this league has been poor. Right. I'm not I'm not doing a full bug, but I want to do do kind of a year in review bug. Bad, you can put this probably in the ugly category for being honest. This was not marketed well. There was not a lot of fanfare leading up to it. There was not a lot of fanfare during it. It existed. It was a thing that happened, and fans of the league enjoyed every second of it, but it left the door open for a lot of naysayers and a lot of criticism well-deserved in a lot of areas. And I've been very vocal about some of these things as well. Another big issue I have is that at the championship game, they're charging more for their shitty fan jerseys than what they were charging online. Now, what the reasoning behind that is, I'm not entirely sure. 
but man, that's irritating. You're already overcharging for your jerseys online for what they are, and then you're going to charge again, charge more at the championship game. That's just that's just brutal. What I will say on the positive side, there have been a lot of guys that have been highlighted that I think deserve chances at the ex, at the NFL level in camps, uh, in uh, in training camps, and all the mini camps and everything that are going on going on in the coming months. And there has been a laundry list of guys that have already been selected for those. Ben DiNucci is very much in conversations to be one of. Could, he could potentially take Russell Wilson's job is some of the reports I'm seeing. And that's insane to me considering what his career projection has been before this. And you got to wonder, where's a guy like Luis Perez fit into this? Where's a guy like Davion Smith, Abe's, Abe Smith for that matter, and even Jordan Tamu. Tamu I think is maybe a little bit more of a stretch, but then you look at some of the receivers, Lucky Jackson, Josh Hammond, Sal Canella at tight end, Tyler Vaughn. There's a lot of guys on the offensive side of the ball. I know there's a lot of guys on the defense side of the ball. This is one of my biggest struggles. I do not remember defensive players. I remember units. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get into some of the USFL games as well. (coughs) There's guys on both sides of the ball that have absolutely balled out this year, have gotten eyes on the game, have gotten eyes on the sport for their team. And... They're going to get their shot. The XFL has done a fantastic job of that. The proof is already in the pudding for that. Another thing that I want to bring up is the production value. Now, I'll talk about this as kind of a negative for the USFL in a little bit. But every I don't know if it's that the voices just got familiar and I'm just getting into actually watching the USFL. The XFL has been taking up most of my attention leading into this anyway. I'm not entirely sure what the correct answer is here, but it just seems like the announcers were so much more of a pleasure to listen to the overall production value. It looked like a well put together game, like a well put together TV viewing experience, which is weird that I'm going to use that as a knock on the USFL later, considering the league is very much made for television and the fan experience inside the stadium, very different to almost non-existent, including the fact that they are tarping off massive sections of the stands and we'll get into that later. <clears throat> Last but not least, and I, I want to end on a good note, especially for the USFL, but I feel like the fan experience has been outstanding for the league. They had the championship game in San Antonio, and I hope next year they consider doing it in St. Louis. I think that would be a fantastic city to host the XFL championship. I'm curious, though, if the Battlehawks aren't in it, will they be able to get close to a sellout at the Dome like they did with so many Battlehawks games? We'll see. We'll put the put the people of St. Louis on uh, up to task for it for sure. But even in this game that was quote unquote neutral site, you know, obviously Arlington, all the t- the both teams were based in Arlington, and the Renegades, their hometown fans, are much closer than the DC fans. It sounded like there was a good crowd there. It sounded like it was a pretty raucous place to play. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of positives coming out of this league. They got to clean up some stuff, though. I hit on some of the negatives already. I don't want to belabor that point. XFL 2023, complete congratulations to the Arlington Renegades. Congratulations on just never giving up and always going out there and putting your best foot forward. That acquisition for Luis Perez will probably go down as the best trade. I'm almost willing to say the best trade in football. 
It, it just is. It just is. Best midseason acquisition that I've ever seen. Now we're going to pivot pretty hard over to the USFL. And it's week five, everybody. Buckle up. The first game of the week featured the Pittsburgh Maulers taking on the Michigan Panthers. And I got to say, game of all the games I saw this week, unfortunately, this game just captured my attention the least. And that's not to say that it was a bad game. It, it wasn't. Pittsburgh, you know, their special teams was awful. It's the fact that Michigan didn't return a touchdown or a kick for a touchdown is mind-boggling. The problem is, that's probably what's score. They only finished the game with seven points. Pittsburgh would win this one 23-7 because the Pittsburgh defense was so stout. Michigan got picked off twice in the end zone. And the second one was returned down to their own 20, which led to a game-sealing score for the Maulers. Kind of really put it out of reach there. Not a ton to talk about this game. It's interesting, too, because this is the only team, this is the only host city that's playing in a dome as opposed to two domes in the USF, or in the XFL. And yeah, Ford, Ford Field felt very dead in comparison to San Antonio and St. Louis. I have I have an equal amount of questions about USFL marketing. We'll get into that later. Next up, we had a great one here. The Houston Gamblers, who started out the season looking dead, go down to Birmingham to take on the Stallions. And they would end up winning this one 27 to 20. Excuse me. They would go down, win this one 27 to 20. The opening kickoff, the gamblers return and go out of bounds at their own two yard line. Now, I I was writing notes as I was watching this game, and I gotta say, the first thing that came to mind was, geez, no wonder this team is struggling. But they would score on that drive. Big, 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 big for this team going forward. We also saw during this game a pretty good explanation live of what a catch actually is. Don't ask me to repeat it. I still don't know. But there was a catch defined. He got two, he caught the ball, took two steps, got hit, fumbled the ball before he hit the ground. And guess what? It was ruled a catch and a fumble. It was clear, succinct. Again, I'm still not an expert on this. I still don't have my PhD in what a catch is in football. But to see it explained out, and this happened again later in the Showboats game as well, to see it actually explained out fully, incredibly helpful for the viewers at home. I love that the USFL is doing this, much like the XFL did. And there are a couple things that I've I noticed in this game that absolutely I just, I absolutely loved. Now, Birmingham would go on to fumble the second half kickoff, but the defense bowed its neck, made a fourth and one stop, but fourth and one must have been third and one. It turned a disaster into an eventual field goal. More mistakes for Birmingham cost them the comeback chance to miss the field goal to keep the game 14 to 13 gamblers and then offensive pass interference on the ensuing Stallions possession on a fourth and long and then a low pass that bounced off the turf as the receiver went down to get it. Birmingham was right there, right? This, this is a reason they're the defending champs. They just had a series of bad plays, bad events, 
and frankly, I mean, offensive pass interference. I'm still surprised uh, that it got called. We see so many times people get upset when a pick play happens and there's no call. This one was worse than others, right? It wasn't as simple as, hey, I'm going to run a stop route right here and you're going to run into me and he's going to come open wide open. No, 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 no. Wide receiver went in and absolutely went headhunting. Sprung the receiver to break wide open in the flat, get that first down, except it wasn't. Now, A for effort, but this is this is football. It's not murder ball. Gamblers improved to three and two, and the Stallions fall to three and two. Again, what's going on? I thought the Gamblers were one of the worst teams in the league, right? Moving right along, we head to Sunday where New Jersey the New Jersey Generals took on the Philadelphia Stars, the Philadelphia Stars. And let me tell you, this Generals defense on goal line, amazing. Very similar to the Houston Roughnecks defense. They would not allow Philadelphia to score a touchdown on the goal line. Matter of fact, they didn't allow Philadelphia to score a touchdown all game. The final of this game was 21-24. So you're thinking, you mean to tell me that Luis Aguilar kicked eight field goals for the for the Philadelphia Stars to win this game. And I'm telling you, yes, 100%. He kicked eight field goals to win this game for the Philadelphia Stars. Absolutely insane. Nutty. How is this possible? This Stars offense, watching it, it was like watching the 2000s Chicago Bears. There's absolutely no offense here. Pretty good defense. They bowed their neck, made big plays. I mean, they in comparison, they only allowed three scores. It was just three touchdowns. And they had a stud kicker, Aguilar, kicking a 55-yarder to win it. And, man, they were forcing turnovers left and right. And without those turnovers, they certainly don't win this game. I think they had what? Let me Let me pull this up, actually. It felt like they had about five fumble forced fumbles. I mean, yeah, they they forced three fumbles and had an interception. That is absolutely insane. And it's no surprise that the Stars were able to come out ahead in this one. The Generals just they were they were by far the better team. Let me just say that up front. The Generals were the better team in this one. Unfortunately, their offense could not hold on to the ball. They just couldn't. Their defense did everything that they needed to. Even giving up eight field goals, with the way the Generals' offense was playing and how poor the Philadelphia defense honestly looked at times, you would have expected New Jersey to run away with this one. However, Philadelphia was causing turnovers left and right. Very aggressive to the ball forcing all of those fumbles these weren't this there was no fumble that where it was just a bad exchange or you know he was high stepping through and he popped it out with his own knee no philadelphia went and stripped the ball from the running backs for new jersey and this game got out of hand i mean how are you gonna let a kicker beat you new jersey how are you gonna let a kicker beat you you gotta be better than that you gotta be kidding me last but not least we move on to the Memphis Showboats versus the New Orleans Breakers. We head back to Birmingham for this one. And the Breakers were the final undefeated team in the league. Were. 
because Memphis would win this one 17 to 10 to improve to two and three with the breakers sitting at four and one after this one. Cole Kelly has this offense looking completely different. Now they are still going through some growing pains. And the fact that they were able to pull this one out against who is currently the best team in the league is impressive because like I said, they're going through the growing pains. However, I think Cole Kelly had them at a better base point than Luis Perez did when he got to Arlington for the Renegades. This is, I mean, it's really nice to have this contrast and have this easy comparison uh, between the two. He definitely has some growing pains. He threw a couple picks. There, there looked like there was a little bit of miscommunication still, but he did deliver the game-winning touchdown. And I heard comparisons to Ben Roethlisberger. You've heard me and Doug swoon about the size of this guy and just the absolute potential that he has to have because of that. He was able to get in there and make the plays that he needed to. The touchdown pass, the game-winning touchdown pass, everybody on the offense is going to the right. He looks right, and then he looks left, and he's got a receiver wide open about three yards of separation, no kidding. He turns around, makes the throw, takes the hit, touchdown, showboats, and then a two-point conversion, another beautiful throw to the running back in the flat who takes it the extra yard to get into the end zone. Absolute beauty from the showboats offense. Second thing I want to shout out here is the Memphis defense. Now, this is tough. I'm talking about Memphis in a win. The Breakers did not play a bad game at all. I just don't care about the Breakers as much. It'd be like asking me to talk about a Bears game. Of course, I'm going to talk about the Bears more than whoever they played, right? But the Memphis defense was huge all game. They only allowed one touchdown in the third quarter. And then that field goal where they lost the lead, but they still were just aggressive to the ball all game long forcing two turnovers of their own, a fumble and an interception. Now, New Orleans had three, forced three turnovers of their own, two two fumbles recovered. Oh, sorry, I'm reading this backwards. Memphis did force three turnovers, two fumbles and an interception. And uh, New Orleans forced two, the fumble and the interception. Memphis was just aggressive to the ball. Even the touchdown that the Breakers scored, Memphis was right there, and shout out to the Breakers running back, diving with the defender hanging on him to the pylon to get the score. Ballsy. Absolutely ballsy. And I say to get the score, I just remembered. It did get called back down at the one. There was a passing touchdown from Bethel Thompson. Whatever. Doesn't matter. It was a great game. I got I, I gotta say, like the, the parody across this league is just insane to me. Nobody is more than one game below five hundred. You got three team four teams, holy shit. You got over half the league sitting at two and three. You got two teams sitting at three and two, and then you got the breakers alone at four and one. This is an extremely close race, and this is exactly what you want. You're gonna have year long drama talking about the playoff picture, who's in, who's out. Something that we got a taste of the last three or four weeks of the season with the XFL. However, in this case, I will be shocked if we have a team under 500 getting into the playoffs in the USFL. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think we're going to see a lot of good football coming. I will say, though, too, it does seem like the pace of the game is significantly quicker than what we saw in the XFL. 
I can't really place my finger on it. Maybe it's because I'm not as I wasn't as drawn in. I had to be doing other things while I was watching these games. I was unfortunately at work both days. Uh, but it just seemed like the game went by a lot faster. I'd look up and all of a sudden it's the next quarter. Uh, I need to look into kind of the rules differences a little bit more. And that's something that admittedly is a little difficult to get used to. One thing that I do kind of like, and I wish there was more of a hybrid of this, uh, but they also have one, two, three point conversions, except the one point conversion is an NFL length extra point field goal. Two points is an NFL two point conversion and a three point conversion I think is about is from the five yard line, which would be a two point conversion in the XFL. Honestly, if they had the if both leagues went to a one point conversion was the NFL kick and then two and three was the XFL's two and three. Now we're in business. I think that's I think that's probably the perfect combination. If I was king for the day, that's what I would do at least. That being said, looking ahead to week six, Saturday, May the 20th, we have the Pittsburgh Maulers heading down to Memphis, Tennessee to take on the Showboats. That game will be on USA at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time. (coughs) Followed up on Fox at 4 p.m., Birmingham will head to Michigan to take on the Panthers. Fast forward a day to Sunday, our noon kickoff in Detroit yet again will be the Breakers taking on the Philadelphia Stars. You can catch that one on FS1. And then to round off the weekend again at 4 p.m. Eastern on Fox, we'll have the New Jersey Generals taking on the Houston Gamblers. This is this going to be a big week for the league, and it, it's it's refreshing to say that, that every week means something, and that is huge for this league. I, I, I kind of want to give give a shit sandwich here because just the parity of this league and how every game seems to matter, that is very good, right? If you want somebody interested in your product, you want to know that no matter what game you go into, there's big implications. It's not like we're sitting here with a team that's 0-5 like we were in the XFL with Orlando, right? Now, at the same time, we got to talk about some bad, right? I already talked about how they've got seats just covered up with tarps. This this is a made-for-TV league. I get it. To me, the tarps are a kind of a turnoff. They are. They, I would rather see fans there do a better job of advertising in your cities to get fans in the stadiums. But what's worse than that is the last game of the week, the showboats versus the breakers. You could hear the audible tone of the drone cam. Now, I love the idea of having a drone cam. I really do. I like it more than the strings. I find the the camera on the string to be distracting. And it, it's so cumbersome. And the technology in drone cams has gotten so good that it's so much smaller. It's not it'll affect the flat path of the ball, I think, if it got hit, but not the same way that the uh, the cable, the high wire cam would if it got hit with the ball. You got to figure that out. If you're a made-for-TV league, I shouldn't be able to hear the drone cam in the background the whole time. Now, (coughs) to get to the positives, right? I got to go very biased here. I I have to, and I'll explain why. I'm a big fan of pro football, obviously. I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you guys about the XFL and the USFL. By myself, because it's something I'm so passionate about. The fact that 
the USFL finally has come back to Memphis, has given Memphis yet another chance, and the Showboats are winning games, is huge for the prospect of pro football in Memphis. Now, this is, again, tying back into something that's near and dear to my heart. Memphis is not going to support a loser in football. Memphis is very much a basketball city. But if you can come in there and win, as the Showboats are doing, and as I think they're going to have the opportunity to do the rest of the year, I think you got to say, well, maybe, maybe football can work in Memphis. And who's to know what happens from there? I don't know what the what has gone on in this locker room. I don't know, you know, how how Todd Haley is handling things. He's been bombastic. He's been in the media for some of his reactions to things. But what I do know is this: you have Brady White on your team. He's your quarterback to start the year. He's not getting it done. You come in, you bring in Cole Kelly, a kid that played FCS football. He's getting the job done for you. I will be stunned if the fans don't get behind this guy. It's been two weeks since the showboats have been at home. Last time they were at home, they lost. They lost a heartbreaker to the Houston Gamblers. They're technically the away team. So what? They have a chance to come home with their new starting quarterback and show the hometown fans just how good they are and how back they are. To have pro football in Memphis again, have meaningful pro football in Memphis, would be huge for the sport in general in the city, especially with some of the other stuff that's going on in the NBA. But we're not a basketball podcast. Y'all, I appreciate you for coming in, hanging out with me, and listening or watching. I do have some links to read off for you, though. If you would like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com backslash bdtfootball. You can catch us at twitter.com backslash bdtfootball, talking about football pretty much all the time. Yeah, all the time. I think all the time is, is the correct answer. You could also head over to facebook.com backslash BDT football. We're still, we're still there. We're trying to, trying to do a little bit better with it. It's, it's difficult, right? If you would like to come and join our social media team, shoot us a message, send us an email mailbox at bdtfootball.com. And you heard the last part of it, bdtfootball.com. Our website's still in flux. We're working on it. We'll, we'll get there. You can also check out some more content at Instagram.com backslash BDT football. Again, trying to figure out the best way to use that. But being on YouTube, which we already talked about, YouTube.com backslash big dudes in the trenches. Being on YouTube helps, right? We can start putting up some videos in a couple different places. You know what I mean? We'll figure it out. We also have a Discord. Check the link in the description for that. I'm not reading the whole thing out. That's just that's just not going to happen. And last but not least, go follow us on Twitch. Get the notifications on to let us know so you know when we go live. And you can catch maybe a late stream like this or one of our regular shows uh, whenever we're live and back on a regular schedule. So, before I leave you, did you know that a group of porcupines is called a prickle? Crazy. They share that name with BMW drivers. I think I've said that on the show already, but you know what? Yeah, don't care. Y'all have a good one, and I will see you all next time. Peace out.